Hey, everybody, we're talking to Efren Delgado today. What an amazing guy. He has some incredible stories working in the National Security Division as a special investigator of the FBI and the other half of the time in the criminal division as a special agent. He's a great new friend of mine. You don't want to miss this incredible conversation. Welcome to The Last 10%. Your host, Dallas Burnett, dives into incredible conversations that will inspire you to finish well and finish strong. Listen as guests share their journeys and valuable advice on living in The Last 10%. If you are a leader, a coach, a business owner, or someone looking to level up, you are in the right place. Remember, you can give 90% effort and make it a long way, but it's finding out how to unlock the last 10% that makes all the difference in your life, your relationships, and your work. Now, here's Dallas. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Dallas Burnett sitting in my 1905 Koch Brothers Barber Chair in Thrive Studios. But more importantly, today we have a great guest, a man with some fascinating stories who knows all about assessing threats, personal protection in the private sector, and Lucky for us is a new author and speaker for all things counterintuitive. Now, man, what does that mean? Welcome to the show, Efren. Thanks, Dallas. Great to be here. <laughs> oh, man. I just got to start out by saying I saw your book cover, and we'll get to that in a minute, but I just saw your book cover. Just one of the most creative book covers I think I've seen in a very long time. So I look forward to look forward to discussing that more, but Tell us a little bit about your background. What's your story, Efren? So in general, I've noticed a lot of, I guess, patterns in human behavior all of my life since I was a little kid and growing up throughout my adulthood and even now in my older years, I'm almost 50. These patterns are, I think, very helpful to your audience and definitely to my reader, where it encourages the good guys that they're stronger than the bad guys. And on the surface, it sounds, well, counterintuitive, but frankly, it makes a lot of sense when you start diving into the principles that I discuss in my book and, and today on your podcast. Wow. Well, now, as a, a former person in the FBI, you would know good guys and bad guys. So I want to <laughs> talk a little bit about, before we get into your book, Tell us a little about, because the FBI, that's a cool background. And just, I know the experiences that you had were, you had some amazing experiences. Let's talk about a little bit, like what inspired you to go into the FBI? Was it something that as a kid you just saw and was, oh, well, one day I want to do that? Or was it something that kind of just opened up on your path as you went through life? Tell us a little bit about that. Like most little kids, you're, uh, you're very innocent, naive by definition, just because you're inexperienced with the world. And I started school, kindergarten, first grade, a year before a lot of my peers. So I was one year younger than the average kindergartner, first grader, and it wasn't relevant until I entered second grade. And during mm. those years, one year makes a big difference physically and cognitively and probably emotionally too. I experienced a little bit of bullying from a couple bullies in second grade. And even though it wasn't overly intense compared to a lot of trauma people experience in the world. To a kid, it's all relative. Our trauma is relevant to us because our experiences are unique. And the question that popped in my head as a six, almost seven-year-old 
was why would somebody be mean when they could simply be nice? And I start mm. out the book this way. And if you think about it, that question is a child's version of psychology. Why do people do what they do? Right. And even deeper, why do bad people do what they do? The criminology side of psychology. And mm. I didn't have the answers then, but I definitely have them now. And it's a lot wow. easier. They're complicated, but it's easy to understand. That's so true. What an amazing question and how to frame that at six or seven, like, why do bad things when you could just be nice? I think there's a lot of 46 and seven year olds asking that question <laughs> yeah. to each other today. I think so, so too. I, yeah. I've got yeah, the answers. That's a, yeah, that's, under, that's wonderful. I look forward to jumping in some of that. So let's talk a little bit about at the FBI. Tell us a little bit about your experience at the FBI. You were in two separate divisions. Tell us what you were doing in those two places in those two main different roles. So the first half of my career, I was in the National Security Division. So that focuses on protecting the infrastructure of the United States, our rights and our safety from outside foreign enemies or other countries that might want to get the upper hand over our country. So the way I describe it to a lot of people is the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, is the offense that they're out in the world trying to gather intelligence from other countries to benefit the interests of the United States. So those countries try to do the same to us, but we're the defense. We're protecting the goal. Mm. And so the FBI, the side I was on, is protecting our secrets, protecting our infrastructure, and looking for traitors or espionage, which is the slang for it is spies, looking for spies within our own ranks who are looking to betray our country. So we defended our national security while the offense tries to like score goals for U.S. interests. <laughs> good metaphor, that's, huh? That's incredible. I love that. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. I love protecting the goal. That's, that <laughs> makes a lot of sense. And I'm very glad that you were doing it and you guys did such a good job and continue to do such a good job of that. So that was the uh, first half. Yeah. That was the first half. Yeah. Okay. And then the second half, what was the second half? The second half was the more traditionally known uh, criminal division where we're upholding federal laws that all emanate from the U.S. Constitution. So a lot of people don't have a clear understanding of like, where do these laws come from? But every single law, whether it's federal, state, or local, emanates to some degree by the U.S. Constitution. And it's preserving our rights. So as soon as your rights invade or compromise the rights of another person, there's got to be some kind of a legal statute to defend it. So it's not just about, I have the right to believe this or the right to believe that or say this or say that. You can't yell fire in a theater, not because it's rude, but because it endangers the safety of other people. And so mm -hmm. that would be a, a good example of the Fourth Amendment right to not lose things, not have things stolen, including your life. Mm -hmm. So that's why death or, excuse me, murder is illegal because you're literally stealing somebody's life. Ah. So the law is not a moral law. It's a stealing somebody's life. If you, if you think about it on a legal sense. Yeah, so, but you, you, you literally say, here's somebody, they took that person's life. They took their own life. That Somebody took their life. And it's right. like you said, they're stealing. But it's a lawful thing, not a moral thing. That's, I've never heard it put like that. That's a fascinating way to think about that. But it's very true. I yeah, I try that. to bring these big concepts down to just human language. I do that yeah. in the book with these psychological concepts. But when I worked the criminal division, I was assigned to kind of a sensitive violation of civil rights. So that included 
hate crimes, human trafficking, and color of law, mm. which are essentially bad cops. Mm. And once you start to work those cases, you see the real world of what's going on behind all that. So the dramatic language of those violations. You mentioned human trafficking, and it seems like such a hot topic today. I mean, I can't imagine you talk about seeing people operating on just why would you do these bad things and thinking that how do you, and this is just something, how do you process that? Because if you're investigating these things, I'm sure that you saw things in that environment that you would prefer not to see. Yeah. Obviously prefer not to happen. How do you, how did you deal with that at the FBI to see and be a part of trying to, obviously you feel good to try to stop it, but how do you, how did you work through some of that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question that I think is not only applicable with dealing with the evils of the world to help stop crime and protect victims, but it's also applicable in more down-to-earth scenarios with business and risk and dealing with maybe not the best family members or people you know in your life personally. And the answer is compartmentalizing, one, and keeping an eye on your North Star, what's your true motive, two. So I'll break that down to compartmentalize. You have to really separate good and bad, emotion and logic. What are the goals? What are the parameters? And just keep your eye and your mind on what your overall intention is. An undercover agent, for example, his goal is discover what's going on in the investigation, get build evidence against the bad guy, and put the bad guy in jail while not dying. So if you're getting along, if you're getting along with your criminal colleagues, that's great. It doesn't mean you like them or it doesn't mean right. suddenly I'm his friend. I'm going to betray my goal, my North Star of capturing the bad guy to preserve the innocent people. You compartmentalize the two. One, I'm doing something for the greater goal of my long-term North Star of protecting people. And two is, even if I like this person or I dislike this person, I have to do the next action that will help me to my goal, regardless of my feeling. That's awesome. So the same is true in, in human trafficking. The same is true of investigating police, who, by the way, I exonerated like 98% of the accusations because, frankly, most cops are good. And they, have, wow. they face a lot of false accusations. But when they're guilty, they're very guilty. So we look for a systemic mm. pattern of criminal behavior that makes it obvious that they're guilty. But most of the officers that I, I investigated were, were very good cops and just got accused of something they were innocent of. Just for well, that. I think that makes everybody feel better. And yep. it just that's really good because corruption in law enforcement is definitely not what you want to hear that's going on. So let's talk a little bit about, I want to jump into now a little bit about your book. And I would love for you to start, and I know the audience can't see it, but I'd love for you to describe the cover and they can look it up on Amazon after the show, because this is, like I said, one of the coolest covers I've seen in a long time. So tell us about the cover, just describe it. And then you've got, there's some deeper thoughts that you had around that. And I'd love for us to jump into your book by talking about the cover. If you have it, you can hold it up and we'll, we'll post this on a clip on YouTube. That'd be great. Yeah, let's see. So oh, yeah. know, can you see that? Yep. Yes, that's great. So, but I'm going to discuss this, this symbol here, which to describe it to your audience is it's a circular shape with a, a dove carrying an olive branch. 
and a serpent tied to the bottom of that olive branch and circling back towards the bottom of the circle and trying to bite the tail of the dove and bring it down. Mm. So I essentially got the idea from Matthew 10, 16, where God is saying, be innocent as doves, but wise as serpents. And on the mm. surface, that sounds like a contradiction. How could I be innocent as dove, but as wise as a serpent? And the answer is God wants us to keep a soft heart, but not to the point of naivete where all the bad guys could take advantage of us. Mm. He wants to protect us, but he wants us to stay not hard, not get hardened, but stay soft during the process of this. So this is where compartmentalizing emotion and logic come in. Mm. The serpents are already hardened and they're looking to bring down the bad guys. I mean, excuse me, the good guys, Mm -hmm. not because necessarily you're, well, I think you are a threat to them. Good guys in my view, Dallas have, are stronger because they risk, they make themselves vulnerable, which actually makes you stronger, which is a counterintuitive concept. But when you right. tear muscle, when you're working out, that's how you get stronger. You're tearing muscle to get stronger, a counterintuitive mm. idea. And yet we all can relate to it. The bad guys are like chihuahuas barking at the doorbell. They are so scared that they have to be really loud project strength because they have no strength. They, mm. And their biggest fear is exposure of the weakness inside. So ironically, they are envious of the good guys. The people in your audience willing to risk being leaders, being entrepreneurs, being speakers, getting up and speaking to the group as presenters, which is scary, mm. but they do it anyway. And the bad guys respect it, but they hate you for it. So mm. they will bring you down as best they can. They'll pretend to be friends. They'll pretend to be allies, or they'll just be overt attackers. But the point is, whether you're a bully an antagonist, a naysayer, any of the negative connotations we could describe, they're coming from a place of weakness. And your audience, the good guys, they're coming from a place of strength. Even if they don't Mm. believe it, believe me, you are stronger than the bad guys. So that's my point Mm. of the book. And so the, the dove is symbolizing you guys rising above the serpents trying to pull you down. And you're carrying that olive branch, which is your purpose, your North Star, and it's a circle because sometimes you will fall on your ass. We all do. <laughs> we all do. And that's okay. That's we, all right. we grow from our adversity is the catalyst, the purpose, strength, and success. Well, that's how we grow. And why, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but we are humbled. And when we're humbled, mm. you have an opportunity to embrace the wisdom that comes from being humbled, or you could ignore it be prideful and say, screw the world and just give up and get in the fetal position. Your audience and my readers don't do that. They go for it. Uh, I think that's true. I love the symbolism of the cover. And I just, it's such a striking cover. And when you first see it, you're just like, what in the world? I've got to look closer at this because there's something else going on. <laughs> and I think that it's, it draws you in like that idea, like the idea that you shared, because you did share something counterintuitive in the sense that there's a, as a, I think that people struggle with attention. You described it very eloquently in, in the sense that we want to maintain this sense of goodness. And yet, if you just always say yes, and you always are available and you always do what the other person wants to do, and you always are just always, then you are absolutely 
going to be taken advantage of by bad people, good people, everybody, you know, yeah. you, you know, it's like you, you so you'll be you a have doormat. Have, yeah. You're going to yeah. be a doormat. And so there has to be this other side of the coin that you say, no, there's, there has to be some wisdom that says, no, they have some boundaries or I can say no at this, or I'm going to make a wise decision here. Like you said, separate the emotion and logic. And I think that's just a really good tension. So we're trying to live in the, in the middle space, somewhere between the extremes. And I think that's hard because there's, it's not a black and white. I think people like that black and white where they can just say it's this or that. And a lot of times we try to create that in our life, but I think as leaders, it, there is a tension there a lot of times of in, in that what, when is it where I need to have that wisdom and yep. when is it that I need to be that altruistic, gracious, good. And so that's just hard. It is hard. And uh, you, you said people like the black and white. And I, I believe that's true because people like to understand things. Because when you understand something, it's comfortable. But here's mm. the danger. I think most people are addicted to comfort. Mm. And that's really dangerous because the bad guys are aware of the things I described. And so they want to keep people comfortable, safely comfortable. And they want to mm. take advantage of their emotions. Wow. And their vulnerability. So if people are emotional, they're either ecstatically happy, scared, nervous, craving comfort, then they can't think as well because emotional logic don't work. So they, as long as you keep the people in an emotive state, they can't see what the bad guys are up to or the people trying to take advantage of them are up to. So they try to keep churning that storm so the sun never comes out where everything's clear and easy to understand. Again, these are all counterintuitive things, but once we take the subconscious and all these concepts into our conscious workspace, then we can manage it. And mm. to simplify things, I think, I think the company is Think, Move, Thrive. That yeah, you guys are pushing. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I love the first one, thinking, mm. because that is the antidote to oppression. If you mm. can think, they can't take advantage of you. Even if you're wrong, you're thinking, you're trying to assess and trying to judge. What's the thing that everybody says, oh, don't judge. Why did right. they say that? Because they mm. want you emoting, not thinking. And oh, they want you wow. fearing that you'll be called racist. They want you fearing that you'll be called closed-minded. And the opposite is true. The thinkers are actually being open-minded. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I titled the book, The Opposite is True, because there's so many examples of the reality of things, the truth of things are actually flipped on the other end when you, when you actually stop and contemplate them. And I think it's so powerful that someone who has seen in your shoes has been in the FBI and you have seen the bad guys face to face at the worst of the worst. And you described some of the things that you worked on is true and you've seen it. And then this is what you're coming back to everyone and saying, this is, I've gone to that side and I've spent time in it. I've reviewed it and here's what I'm come to tell you. And so that's just, I think that's so powerful. I think it should be very encouraging for people, especially for people who feel like they don't have a voice or are afraid to use it. Maybe people who feel like they can only be good and they've ended up being a doormat and that they need some balance in their life. I think that's all very good. If people, I loved how you put 
that so many people are addicted to comfort. And I think it's easy for leaders too. And I think if you're listening to the last 10%, that idea is something that we can just think a lot about in, in your own life. What are areas that you feel like you may be just addicted to comfort? What are areas in your leadership toolkit or your day, your work that you may be not focusing on that the reason that you're not looking under that rock or opening that closet or cleaning out that or doing what you need to do is because it might be a little bit painful and you just, you're addicted to comfort. Let's just be honest. And so I think one of the things that hold people back is fear, fear of moving and fear of moving into that uncomfortableness if yep. they are addicted to comfort. Now you talk in your book, I think about some techniques around overcoming fear. What advice would you give the listeners that are addicted to comfort and they're a little bit afraid to move into that sphere of uncomfortableness? Absolutely. And there's kind of two parts to that uh, question. One is dealing with comfort and the other is dealing with fear. And the, the comfort one, it's natural. I love comfort. Everybody loves comfort. There's nothing better than a nice plate of comfort food, a movie, and just gorging. <laughs> That's my happy plate. But I could only eat so much pie and so many cheeseburgers before you start regretting it, you know? <laughs> That's right. So uh, I think it's just, first of all, forgive yourself for being a human being and loving comfort because we all do. But right. just realize that complacency hold, holds us back. We all need to keep in mind our North Star, our purpose, even as it evolves, because it's not the same throughout our lives. We have different phases. So keep mm. our long-term goals and then chop them up. And part of, I guess, resisting complacency and comfort to a healthy degree, because it's okay to take breaks and all that, of course, is simply acknowledging that you will never get anywhere unless you're working for it. Unless you're ripping muscle, you won't get stronger. Unless you're climbing the mountain, you won't reach the summit. So mm. challenge yourself, stretch your comfort zone, but you don't have to rip it apart. You just stretch and make progress and progress is good enough. And just mm. don't fool yourself. One interesting uh, quote that I often bring up is Plato said, no one is more hated than he who speaks the truth because mm. the truth is often uncomfortable. So mm. if you're not striving for your North Star and you love comfort and complacency, then people will hate you when you're bringing up truth because it's cognitive dissonance. It's like a cattle prod on their side. They don't want to know the truth. They don't want to hear you preach about facts. They want to be under that warm, fuzzy blanket. And you could take a, water, a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Mm. Uh, but for, the, for your audience, for my reader, people want to live beyond mediocrity and not just be stagnant in, in existence. Um, we embrace the uncomfortable. We embrace new things. We are embracing new ideas because we want to innovate. We want to win. And we want to help our families and our societies. We want to go for it because carpe diem. We're going to die. Yeah. We might as well live first. Yeah. So this is kind of the comfort part of your question. And right. it, it goes with fear. And my theory is when you think of snakes, it's scary, right? Snakes sure. are pretty scary. Uh, poisonous snakes are scary. They scare me. When you think of sharks, they're scary, right? Standard, yeah. standard scary things. Sharks, snakes, public speaking. People say public speaking is one of the scariest things, even more than death. I've heard that. <laughs> I don't right. know the stats, but all these things. 
And so here's an interesting I- idea. Who's the least afraid of snakes? And I would say like snake charmers. They're literally working with them every day. Oh, yeah. Who's least afraid of sharks? Surfers. They're swimming with sharks every day. That's right. And who's least afraid of public speaking? Public speakers. Public speakers. Because they're doing it all the time. So the answer, the pattern there, actually snake charmers are in the most danger of snakes because they're around them all the time and they get bit. Right. Surfers yeah. are in the most danger because they're around them all the time. And sometimes the sharks are hungry and mistake them for a, for a Big Mac. Yeah. And the, and the public speakers, God forbid you make a mistake, but you're going to keep going. But one of the prerequisites to success is failure anyway. So they keep going. Mm-hmm. So despite all those actual dangers, they understand snakes. They understand sharks and they understand public speaking respectively. And you could go on with the examples. So I say people don't fear those things. They fear the unknown. Mm. So the answer is make the unknown known. And the way you do that is education, exposure, and repeat. Learn about what you're scared of, experience what you're scared of, and repeat. When I was young, I was afraid of heights, so I started jumping off the bed. Then that, I got over it. <laughs> then I started jumping off my fence in the backyard. I got over it. Then I jumped off the roof. Then I stopped there. That, yeah, that's probably wise. <laughs> yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm not afraid of heights anymore. Fear is healthy to, to some degree, but I'm talking about unreasonable fears or some level right. of phobias. And yeah. your audience probably has some fears. They could easily get over if they exposed themselves a little bit to it and learned that those fears may, may not be as dangerous, dangerous as they might believe. I think that's a, yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. Man, you just dropped so many things right there. I just... That sound means it's time to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. If you lead an organization or a team, one of the biggest challenges you face is developing your people. Think Move Thrive is here to help you on your journey. We've developed a coaching system that integrates into your team or organization to consistently develop your employees, build trust, gain valuable feedback, and increase accountability. Leadership retreats and summits are great. We even build those custom for our clients, but they're only part of the solution because they lack consistency. Our one-on-one coaching app is the missing piece in your employee development program. We help new leaders get to know their teams, We help technical managers be more relational, and we help ensure that your relational rock stars stay organized. We developed the system for a client, and it was so successful. We created the app to help more organizations develop their people, build trust, engagement, and you guessed it, performance. For more information, go to thinkmovethrive.com to learn more about the one-on-one coaching system and start developing your team today. Back to the show. When I think through it as a leader, you know, the the point that you just made about making the unknown known, man, I love the way you put that. And I love the analogy that you made with all the snakes and the sharks (laughs) and public speaking. It's so true. If you're a leader, sometimes you feel if in leadership is very exposing. So people are watching you. They've got their eyes on you, whether you're doing a good job or whether you're doing a bad job, they're going to see it pointed out. And you just feel sometimes you feel very exposed. And so sometimes it does feel like if I make the wrong decision or if I do this and it doesn't go well, then, oh man, I'm in trouble. And so it's not, you're not, you may not have the 
may not have the confidence that you need in certain areas. Now, you may be a technical expert. That's not what we're talking about. That's what you're good at. You, know, you already know that. But maybe you're not good managing or coaching in conflict or having difficult conversations. That's the place that you've got to be intentional about engaging. I love how you talked about progress is progress. Like you, we're not saying that you have to climb the mountain in on the first try. It's that you take the next step. And, right. and that's, that's the point. So I, I just, I love that. I love that analogy because it, it gives people something that they can latch onto to say, Hey, look, if you're moving into a place of uncomfortability, that is, that's a good thing. Yep. That is living in the last 10%. People that live in the last 10%, if you're going to surf in the last 10%, you're going to surf beside sharks. It doesn't matter. It has to be. You cannot surf without sharks and be the top 10% surfer in the world. It's just right. not going to happen. And so I just love that because that's a picture of what we're trying to do. And, and you're sharing some real wisdom there. Now, I want to get into a little bit more in the book too, because there's, you've got some great examples. Then we're going to get some cool stories because you have just, especially one that, that we talked about before the show, this audience is going to love. But before we get to the story, I want to talk a little bit about another example of a counterintuitive point, And that is really the power of humility. You have this chapter 16 in your book. Let's talk about, let's talk about some of the truth in chapter 16. Sure. Chapter 16's title is a power is a natural corrupter. But then I throw mm. in parentheses, unless you insert humility. And if you think about mm. it, there's many forms of power. You get a power of authority, good looks, money, a badge, a gun. You could even be elected HOA president, and there's a form of power there. Whatever the case <laughs> yes. may be, and to whatever degree, I think there's a direct correlation with the more power you have, the more human tendency you have to be corrupted by that power. So it's ironic. Yes. So... The, the counterintuitive truth here is that if you insert humility, that's the only antidote to not be corrupted by power. And mm. if you don't, you will be corrupted by it. And if your audience just pauses and thinks about any example of power in their life, in their circles, and the people who are humble versus the people who are not, they will automate mm. right now their, their sign because they're like, oh, yeah, that's why Johnny does this or Susie does that. It's because mm. the humble people have the enough strength to make themselves vulnerable and embrace being humble and think about others and not about themselves. And the opposite is true. Those who are prideful, I know it all, they're actually chihuahuas barking at the doorbell, trying mm. to hide their insecurities, their weaknesses, so that nobody can see them. So they double mm. down on the rudeness. They double down on the micromanaging. They double down on the, why did you make the chicken dinner this way? The little criticisms <laughs> at the Christmas dinner. I mean, yeah. it's, it's in all levels. That's not all Hitler and Mother Teresa stuff. This is just real yeah. world dynamics in our own families, our circles of friends, and our, and our offices. I think that's a, a fantastic point. And I think that it is counterintuitive. I, I love how you brought it down to even Christmas dinner conversations, yeah. because I think that's a challenge to all the listeners. If you find yourself exerting that, Chihuahua syndrome, yep. where you're really jumping on people and exerting some type of power, whether it's real or just your personality. What is it that you are really afraid of? What are you trying to cover up? What is it there that's causing it underneath that, that lack of humility or vulnerability that you're trying to protect? I think that's a great question that we all can think through on that because it's definitely going to be something that holds you back from achieving the potential 
of influence that you see it, that you could put, achieve instead of this pseudo influence that you just have barking at people. You could have real influence with people. I read this study recently, and I, I can't remember the title of the study, but it was talking about how the leaders that generated the most trust were very competent and very smart, but not perfect. Mm. And I thought that was fascinating that like, if you made a flub in your delivery, just a little bit, mm -hmm. or if you made a mistake, it, it was endearing. But mm -hmm. if you were perfect on everything to the nth degree, then it was actually, you were actually seen less favorable. And I just think yeah. as a human, it's, it's fascinating because that goes to me, it goes to what you're saying is that even as humans were wired to see through, just see through some of the bull. It's like, yeah. no, that's just not, that's not real. That's nobody's perfect. So I like the authenticity, you know? And, yep. and so I think people are wired for that. And I think if, when you are talking about humility to me, it's saying as a leader, we have a real, a real obligation if we're going to lead effectively for the long term and we are given power, then the way we can do that is introducing humility. And I love the intentionality that you said we, we have to, because if we don't, we're corrupted. How did you, how have you seen that play out? Cause I know you've seen this play out in your career. Well, that that's a great point that you make because uh, it also encourages your audience, leaders, entrepreneurs, people just going forward and, and influencing others that it's not only okay to make mistakes, but they don't have mm. to hide their mistakes. They're, they are mm. endearing. And mm. my favorite trait, and I, I claim it's most people's favorite trait, whether they realize it or not, is just authenticity in, in your fellow human being, somebody mm. who's genuine. Because the opposite is just e exhausting. Somebody always performing or manipulating or trying to hide their inner self is, and it's not that they have to expose all their inner secrets, but just be real with people and, and other people will appreciate it. Right. The effort. I agree. And so the way I've seen this played out in general is it's not just in my personal life, but also just in life in general. Marcus Aurelius was um, somebody I quote in my book a lot. He was literally mm -hmm. the emperor of Rome, the most powerful guy on the planet. And he said something to the effect of, it is possible to live a good life even in a palace. Oh, and so what's interesting is obviously it's counterintuitive. Oh, you've got a palace. You're the most powerful guy. Of course the world's awesome. But all the other emperors were corrupted. You know, Nero, Constantine, yeah. all of those guys were yeah. corrupted because it's really hard not to have so much power and not give into it. King mm -hmm. Solomon, had, even to his own regret, had all these concubines and wives and he regretted yeah. it. Yes. Um, it wasn't until he humbled himself and realizing, you know, the, I mean, he probably realized all along, but he's human, mm -hmm. um, that where the wisdom came back. He had the wisdom before, became corrupted, and he embraced. So there's hope there. When we screw up, you could always go back. You don't have yes. to beat yourself up. Humble yourself is also forgiving yourself. You could turn right. the ship 180 degrees. So just to encourage your audience also to go for it and also don't live the rearview bear is small. Dave Ramsey says this, the rearview bear is small for a reason. So the windshield is big, but the rearview mirror is small. So just go, keep going forward. Ah, oh, that's good. That's good advice. That's really good advice. It's encouraging too, especially yeah. if you've 
felt like you've made some mistakes and maybe you can, and everybody's a work in progress on the humility side. So regardless of what stage of your career you're in or what leadership position you're in, I think that's, that's just a great word. Okay, Efren, I want to change gears a little bit and I want you to tell a story that we were talking about before the show started. And that was you transitioned out of the FBI and you went into the private protection, personal protection space right. and security and all that stuff. And, and that's where you've been for a while. And you had this amazing, you've had a lot of stories, but this one in particular was just amazing. I thought it gives. So tell us about one of the experiences that you were sharing before the show about this new, new space that you had entered into. Yeah. So I had a client and of course we have, we can expose our clients usually because we have NDAs, that sort of thing. But I had a fancy A-list type of client. I'm in the Los Angeles area. And he was invited to, he was attending a, a party at another A-lister, which I'll tell your audience in a bit. So okay. I was getting, you know, earlier in the party, I was getting familiar with the location of this uh, beautiful home. And just like we always do, we, they call it advancing, but you don't always have a full time to do a thorough advance, but you do what you can. Assess, adapt, overcome, one of my mantras in the book. So right. I got, was getting the lay of the land, staying out of the way of my client and his guests. And all of a sudden, I'm in, alone in a certain area where there's like cameras with another security guy. The other security guy had left to do rounds or something. And Elon Musk enters, the host of the party, enters this space where I'm trying to stay out of the way and asks me, hey, is there a fire extinguisher? And I asked him quickly, first of all, I'm a fan of Elon Musk, so I was taken aback a bit. And then, <laughs> and then I, I asked, well, is there a fire? And as, as I'm realizing, it just through the half-second facial expression that, yes, there's a fire, I grabbed the fire extinguisher, and as he's barking directions to where it's at, I'm running out of the space. Upstairs, as he's telling me, it's in one of the bedrooms upstairs. And I'm running up there and the bed is completely engulfed in flames. I'm not sure how it happened. Oh my god. But gosh. one of the guests must have tipped over a candle or God knows what, a cigarette. But the bed was completely inflamed. I put out the fire quickly because I know fire is not only dangerous, but it goes up very quickly. Right. So my priority was not people's feelings or comfort or whatever. It was just getting this fire extinguished ASAP. So the bed was completely inflamed, which the room could have gone quickly after that, but Good knocked gracious. that out. He was happy. Of course, he has to replace that bed. But <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, all the guests were fine. And my, more importantly, my client and, the, and all the guests at the party were safe. That was Good the fun part. Gracious day. Now, did they keep going with the party after that? Was it yeah, just, oh, that was part of it. Let's keep it going. It was kind of winding down anyway. But, oh. but everybody had a good humor about it. Nobody panicked. And uh, yeah, it, it was fine. The home was fine. They, pro they probably had to not only replace the bed, but maybe if there was, I don't even remember if there was carpet in that room. I'm sure there was. But Racist. the room was fine. The home was fine. And uh, I'm sure Elon Musk was grateful, but even though I didn't have a chat with him afterward, <laughs> well, my client was happy. So that's good. That's awesome. That's a great story. So you saved the party and, and Elon Musk and all that. That's hilarious. That was great. Well, tell us about, I mean, how hard was that transition? What's one of the aspects that you really liked about that? Yeah. Since I was a, a kid with a bullying experience, I grew a deep empathy for just people who are mistreated 
mm-hmm. and including the bullies who I now know bullies, tyrants, antagonists of all kinds. They're chihuahuas barking at the doorbell because they're fearful and have weaknesses. So I empathize with even the bad guys, but not to the extent of not protecting the good guys. So mm-hmm. the what my view is, once you're an adult, no matter what your background is or the trauma you've been through, you have you don't have an excuse to hurt other people. That's never right. excusable. Right. Um, so you just have, that's the adulting part. Regardless of your background, you have a responsibility to be a good guy, whether you like it or not. And if you're not, then that in itself is a choice, which makes you culpable. So okay. you have to face the consequences. And that could be as severe as lethal force when somebody's endangering the life of somebody else or seriously injuring them. Then to preserve that life, and the safety of that person. That's why lethal force exists. And to a much smaller scale, mm-hmm. if you're hurting somebody's career because you keep backstabbing them or uh, trying to pull them off their wall of progress, then you deserve to be exposed. Unfortunately, a lot of the bad guys get away with things on, on, on those levels, but at least, at least you could sleep well at night that you're not one of those people. So I was wanted to protect the good people from the bad. So... Mm-hmm. I did that in childhood, and it evolved in the FBI's National Security Division with the protecting our national security, and it evolved into the second realm of the criminal division, protecting people against crime. And then mm-hmm. the trifecta of protecting people was the private sector, which is protecting people as a threat assessment consultant or physically as a bodyguard. Those kind of wow. go hand in hand. So even though I'm moving into the fourth chapter of of my life of speaking and writing, I think the point is the same where I'm still protecting people, but this time I'm trying to help, I'm trying to teach them how to fish so they could fish for themselves. Right. No, I think that's great. I love that. I would love to talk a little bit about too, you've gone through these career stages and transitions and you mentioned they are, it's, there's a connection to all of these pieces. If someone is going through their career, as you get into the last 10%, it's very few things in life are a straight line. And so understanding how to navigate that and being very good at navigating those transitions in life is really important and it's very challenging. And as it relates to career transitions and moving from these different stages, what advice would you give to people going through these things? And it could be related to your book and counterintuitive or just your experience. Yeah. Fortunately for me is they go hand in hand. <laughs> so right. I was pretty blunt in my book of everything I, I said in there. I, I truly believe with all my mind and my heart, I really didn't hold back. And part of that is I think to some extent, we all have a purpose, a North star, a calling and to accomplish those big mountain climbs all the way up to the summit, you have to chop them up. And mm-hmm. one one story I gave in the book in a chapter where I'm talking about Abraham Lincoln, who had to deal with a lot of adversity, is he said when he was dealing with the point of reconstruction after abolishing slavery, he was trying to put the country back together. Right. And it was overwhelming because the South had a lot of hostility because you're pretty much stopping this money bank of having free labor and people get drunk with this power because it's an emotion and they get entitled with this power because it's an emotion and they convince Mm -hmm. themselves that black Americans were subhuman 
which is a prerequisite to enslave somebody. You have to literally believe that. That's emotion and logic not mixing. So mm. that's a, yet another example. But he said that he copied what sailors on these foggy rivers do. And they say sail from point to point. As far as your eye can see, only sail mm. to that point. So that's the chopped up small goal that makes up the big goals. So he said sail point to point. So I'm encouraging my reader and your audience, just sail to the next point. And then once you reach there, keep an, keep an eye on where that North Star is and then sail to the next point that you can see and keep going. Zigzag if you have to, navigate, take shorter ones, longer ones, whatever you have to do, but chop it up and do what you can. Let go of what you don't have control over and embrace what you do have control over. Uh, I think that's great advice. You've made several comments about people having purpose and and that north star. How do you? How have you? How have you discovered that in your life? Did Did you have a time where you were like, "This is it," or has it been kind of a progressive elaboration where this gotten clearer and clearer as you've gone? And I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? Finding that purpose. I think it's pretty plain to see, but I might be biased because as a flawed Christian, which is how I describe myself, I'm a sinner like everybody. But as a flawed Christian, I truly believe that God's design is us as a church, which Hmm. maybe some of your uh, secular audience and my secular readers might picture a a building structure with a steeple. But when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the body of Christ, which is his followers. So... Hmm. Dallas has certain talents. I couldn't host a podcast and interview people the way you do. So good on you on that. But I also can't sing and dance or play basketball. But I do understand human behavior. And I don't think that came out of me being an amazing person, but God-given talents that I'm accepting as a gift to understand Mm. these human behavior dynamics so that I could explain it to his flock, to his children. That's how I view it. So every human has their own God-given talents. Whether they acknowledge them or not is the free will, their choice. But I'm encouraging your audience and my reader, pay attention, self-reflect to what you're good at and what you're not good at. Be who you are. Don't try to be something else. And you will discover, if you haven't already, what your purpose is. And that purpose, it's probably not selfish. It's probably selfless which is another counterintuitive truth to happiness. Seeking happiness will make you miserable. Seeking humility, wisdom, fulfillment, meaning. Meaning Mm. is the secret to happiness, and that comes from selflessness. So Mm. I say in the book, there are selfish benefits to living a selfless life, life, (laughs) and that is happiness. (laughs) That that is a great counterintuitive. There's selfish benefits to living selfless. (laughs) But isn't that wonderful? It's fun. I love that. I've never heard that before. That's very clever. Oh, that's very good. And I think that's very true. And you made a comment there that I thought was fascinating. You said that you had gifts that you accepted. And I think that is awesome. I think that's (laughs) such a, that's an also, uh, it's something overlooked. If not, I think there's so many people that just haven't accepted their own gifts. Maybe they're looking and hoping for someone else's. I don't know. There's probably a thousand reasons why, but 
uh, it, I love the point about being reflective. We talk about in, in our book, Lift, we talk about one of the routines is you have to have a routine of reflection. You, you should have times that set aside where you actually just sit and think and reflect and yep. process. And I think I those are the kind of things that you need to be processing is, are there some gifts that you just haven't accepted? You just need to embrace who you are and how you're made and the gifts that you have and let's roll and be selfish with your selflessness. Right. <laughs> living, living selflessly. That, I, just, I love that. And you will get the benefits of it. That's the irony of it. You mm. will get the benefits of living selflessly. And everybody knows that, but it's often inconvenient until you start right. doing it. So right. that's, there's the rub, but you have to humble yourself a little bit. And you have to forgive oh, yourself and others a little bit. Yes. This has just been a fantastic time. I just, I've just enjoyed your, I've enjoyed the conversation immensely. And we always like to close out the show by asking the guests who they would like to hear on the last 10%. So if you had anybody, it could be anybody, but uh, who is someone that you would like to see or hear on the last 10%? That's a great question. And my intention was to give this guy a call before <laughs> and we kept playing phone tag, but I'm going to go That's ahead awesome. and throw his, his name out here. And he's a buddy of mine named Ben Wolf. So ben Wolf, okay. he has a book in him and he hasn't written it yet, but he's working on it. And nice. he doesn't know I'm talking about him right now, but his book, <laughs> if he ever gets around to writing it would be amazing. I'll keep you guys in touch, but he's lived a full life. I met him when I was chasing spies and terrorists in the National Security Division in Washington, D.C., oh, but he went wow. on to join the State Department's Diplomatic Security Service, and he's just a great friend and a great patriot, and I, I think he would be fun to interview one day when, he, when he's ready, but yeah. I'll, keep you, I'll keep you in mind when I do finally have that conversation with him. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That sounds like it would be a fun conversation with Ben. I'm sure he'd have a lot to share with our listeners. So he's in my book okay. too. Oh, cool. A short All right. Little story in there. Yep. A little story in there. Yep. Okay. So I'm sure you've got some other stories that actually I know you do because we talked about it. So if you're listening to the last 10% and you like the story about the bed catching on fire and you like the hearing about the FBI and all these things. Efren has a ton of those stories in his book, and he shares a lot of that in, as, as he does with wisdom that he's laid out great on the show. So how can people get in touch with you if they, you, you're doing a lot of speaking now related to your book and you're doing all kinds of other stuff? What, how can people find you? How can they connect with you? Probably the simplest way, I, I'm on Amazon and the book's on Amazon, but the simplest way is probably just going to my website. I have a little spiel about the book, a little spiel about myself, and then some. if you're interested in the book, you can just click a quick to buy. And the website's Efren, E-F-R-E-N, Delgado.com, Efren, Delgado.com. That's fantastic. Okay, we will put that in to the show notes in case you're driving and need to reference this later. But Efren, it has just been a fascinating time with you. I've enjoyed every minute of it. And I just thank you for being a part of The Last 10% and sharing your wisdom with our listeners. So thank you for being on the show. Thanks a lot, Dallas. It was fun. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today on The Last 10%. We hope you found today's content engaging and encouraging. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to hear the latest episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us so others will join our community. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. 
This podcast can be found globally in any podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Subscribe today. Plus, visit our website, join our email list, and discover resources and info for your business and team at thinkmovethrive.com. Thanks again for listening to The Last 10%.